Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts. We also have Jeff Rutt, one of the co-hosts with us. Say hello, Jeff. Hey. <laughs> what up? I think is your new tagline <laughs> from uh, Walker Hayes. And then Alan Barnhart off the trail, also joining us as a co-host. Alan, say hello. Go ahead. Glad to be here. Hey, hey guys. And then we have uh, our special guest this week, Henry Kastner. Henry, forgive me for not doing the full bio. They'll get a lot of the story from you, but Henry's just been an entrepreneur. We're going to hear that story, but my guess is from a very young age, co-founded a big business bandwidth that's been very successful, is a, you know, co-founded a, uh, or maybe just founded, you'll tell us the story about the private equity firm. And then he's got a whole movement, this, I call it the faith-driven movement that you've just done a great job talking about. And, you know, there's a million different directions we can go. So we're looking to see, uh, looking forward to seeing how God leads this conversation. But Henry, say hello and thanks for being here. Hi, Jeff, it's great to see you. And and this is not meant to be any slight at all to you, Jeff. Jeff, I'm a fan and I know you a bit and know your heart for God, but I got to tell you that there's there's some amount of intimidation factor is not the right thing, but just awe and gratitude because two of my heroes are co-hosts. And Jeff, if I knew you more, I'd better, I bet you'd be one of the, be the third one. But when I think of guys that have just completely surrendered it all, but not excellence, business at scale with quality, with excellence, and then been incredibly generous, there's nobody better than Jeff Rutt and Alan Barnhart. And so to get an opportunity just to share with a bit about what God has done in my life is a great honor. It's a great blessing. There's some amount of fear and trembling that's going on because I'm doing it in front of my two of my heroes. But I love the fact that you guys are doing the podcast and I'm honored and blessed to be on it. Thank you. Well, I know Jeff's going to, Jeff Rutt's going to kick us off with some questions, but thanks for saying that. You know, the only reason I, you know, I don't know why these guys are hanging around me, but you know, in, in God's word, it talks about in heaven, there's many houses, you know, and, you know, uh, and we could argue the theology, but I think some of them are nicer than others. I'm just looking to sweep the floors in these guys' houses upstairs. OK, uh, so I, I'm just trying to rub elbows with these guys. Uh, so I'm, I'm right there yeah. with you. But Jeff, why don't you right. uh, Jeff, why don't you start us off? Yeah, let's let's uh, let's jump in. Henry, it's a true honor to have you on the podcast. And we just want to hear more about your story to start us off with. Tell us about a little bit about where you grew up, a little bit about your family. And my guess is that there were some entrepreneurial things happen in that childhood. But uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your early days. Yeah, so I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland, and my youth was fixated on being a fantastic lacrosse player. I come from a family that plays a lot of lacrosse. And as a teenager, I realized that I was never going to be a great lacrosse player. And I remember that being kind of like a kind of a crisis of identity. And, and I've got to be careful because I now I live out, I live, I might be in danger of living that out for my kids' lives a little bit too much. But when I realized I wasn't going to be a great athlete, I needed an identity. I needed something. And it was when I went off to school at the University of Delaware that I discovered my first love. And it wasn't a girl, although I ended up marrying a wonderful, wonderful woman who's been a great life partner. But my first love I found was the fact that I could make a t-shirt for $5 and I could sell it for 10 <laughs> and I've never been great at math, but I could do that. That's math. Awesome. And I thought that was super cool. 
and then made t-shirts and sold them at the University of Delaware and then hired some folks to do it, paid them two bucks a shirt sold. And I could still even do that math on the on the net margin. And uh, then by make a long story short, by the time I got out of college, we had sales teams at 50 different universities and we're selling a lot of t- different t-shirts and had a lot of fun doing it. Cut some corners. I had some problems with some trademarks, got into some legal problems. And my dad said, look, pal, when you're 20, you can plead naivete, which I did. But by the time you're 21, you need to get a real job. So uh, that began, or I'm sorry, that ended rather the first chapter of my entrepreneurial career. But at the core of me in the marketplace, that was probably the last time I was like a world expert at something. I was very good at selling t-shirts. And to this day, I have dreams. I'm 52 now. I have dreams that I have to go back and sell t-shirts in college again. I really do. <laughs> I love it. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah, is kind so, of, it is kind of a nightmare. Yeah. So what? who would you say in your early days was the person that really influenced you? Oh, if it's funny that I've actually never been asked that question, but I'll answer it honestly. The person who influenced me the most are actually two people. They're both fictional characters. One is Gordon Gecko, and the other one is Bud Fox. And both of them featured in the movie Wall Street, which came out at about the time I was running into my legal problems with t-shirts. And I took that cultural reference and said, I want to be Bud Fox. I want to be the young guy making a ton of money who endeavors to be Gordon Gecko. I want to date Daryl Hannah. I want to have the apartment on the Upper West Side with the exposed brick wall. I want the sushi maker. And I want my life set to the soundtrack of Frank Sinatra. That's what I want to be. Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, that's the first sign that your life is going off the rails when Charlie Sheen is your first role model. <laughs> that's not good. Wow. Wow. So, man, so dying of curiosity for next chapter then in your, you know, so you, you met the love of your life and what's next steps in your faith journey, in your family yeah. uh, formation? I know you have three boys, but uh, yeah, tell us about those early days. Okay, so I grew up in a culturally Christian home. Uh, We did go to church. The gospel was not at the center of that church, to the best of my recollection. I just, I never had an encounter with the living God who loved me. And so when I went up to New York to try to be Bud Fox, I was actually reasonably successful in that and just searching for happiness in all the wrong places, the God-shaped hole, all the different things. I did, in the midst of that, find through the grace of God, I ended up meeting Kimberly, who's my my wife and my great life partner to this day. But neither of us knew Jesus. And it was really after pursuing happiness and all the all those different things that I thought would deliver money and fame. And I'm not, I was never, to be clear, very famous, but I had some level of, of success on Wall Street. And Kimberly and I realized that something was missing. A friend of ours uh, suggested we check out a church. Uh, and we had moved from, at this point in time, we had moved from New York City to set up a business in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And we thought, you know, we're going to get married. We should probably join a church. It's the, it's the right moral social country club type of thing to do. And we walked in a, uh, into a PCA church. And the pastor was there, a guy named David Bowen. And he's preaching as if he believed that the Bible was true. And Kimberly and I just didn't have a frame to even process that. And that began a process of about a year where we both individually, and then came together on this, came to understand that there's a God who loves us. And it gave us a sense of meaning and purpose and a sense of gratitude 
for the fact that he sent us his son to die for us. And we got it. We understood it. And a part of it was kind of an intellectual pursuit at the beginning, but it became a very spiritual one and it changed everything. So at 28, Kimberly and I both came to know Jesus. And uh, it's the biggest, biggest moment in my life, even more wow. so than being married, which we were married about six months after that. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'm going to turn it over to Alan, but as a, uh, a pivot, tell us about, you know, when, when were the, the first of those three amazing boys born? How soon after that time period? Yeah. So uh, December 19th, 2001, Benjamin was born. Benjamin's 20 years old now, and he's a sophomore at the University of North Carolina. My son, Joe, born uh, March of 2004, is at Notre Dame. And then Graham, uh, is uh, going to be going off to Johns Hopkins here in a little bit. And so we've got three kids off in school. I love my boys. As best I can tell, they're both walking, all three of them are walking with Jesus every night. We pray to that end and we pray that God will lift up godly women for them to marry. And it's a wonderful thing to parent adult children, which is new for us. All of you have kids that are older than ours, but it's a great part of God's journey and blessing and sanctification in my life and Kimberly's life. It's super. Henry, give us a little bit of a, give us a little bit of a feedback on the, on bandwidth and how that started and what made you do that. And Yeah. So the first business I ran when we came down to North Carolina is called Chapel Hill Brokers, which is a broker for institutional electricity derivatives and sold that in 2000 and, had an idea for a telecom company because back then natural gas and electricity were both non-storable commodities, especially the electricity part. And the third leg to that stool was bandwidth, telecommunications infrastructure. And Enron was starting to trade that and thought that there's a business opportunity around telecom on the institutional and the trading side. Along the way, I met a guy named David Morkin who owned the domain name Bandwidth. And we together hatched up an idea for a company that we call Bandwidth. And it, it continues and it exists to this day. And we wanted to be able to help clients that were looking for data telecommunications at the beginning. Now it's very much a voice telecom shop to be able to unlock remarkable value. And we wanted to do that against the cultural values of faith first. I was a new believer. He was a lifelong believer. Faith first, then family, then work, and then fitness. And through the grace of God, the, the company has, has grown. We were semi-famously not successful in raising venture capital early on, which is great because it's allowed David and I to continue to control the, the company to this day. And then out of bandwidth, which we, uh, which we took public, uh, came not only bandwidth, of course, but then a company called Republic Wireless, where we had just a brilliant team that was able to come up with a technology that allowed cell phone calls to go between the cell phone network and back to Wi-Fi and back again. And uh, also had an MVNO, a mobile virtual network operator of about 300,000 clients. And we sold that to Dish Network and then have another company that's related called Relay, which is think of a, a cell phone and a walkie-talkie marrying and having a baby that's used for young families that don't want to have their kids to have a screen with their phone, but principally used in the, the, really the growth application is in the hospitality business mm -hmm. for large stadiums and uh, large resorts where employers need to stay in touch with their, their employees. And it's been this great journey of God's faithfulness, making a ton of mistakes along the way, but yet really getting a feeling that, of course, we might be able to run a business which might be able to 
allow us to, to bring God glory by making a redemptive product and service in the way that we made the product. And to be clear, we've made a lot of mistakes again along the way, but being able to bear witness for the reason that we have, for the, for the hope we have with gentleness and respect and doing that with partners and vendors. And we've shared our faith with Google execs on a ski lift and partners, vendors, customers, and of course, our employees. And so between the three companies, we've got a couple thousand employees now and really see them as a, just a group of men and women that are leading families that we can love on and provide meaningful work for them to do, red meat for them to chew on, so to speak. I think one of the greatest gifts you can ever give somebody is a great job and an opportunity to innovate and to, to work well on a team. But then also to be able to help with what this, this concept we talk about a lot is the shadow of a leader, be able to model out loving on our wives well. Wednesday night is date night, being there for our kids' athletic events and helping them to lead their families, their communities well. And then hopefully with time to be able to, to, to share the example of generosity as each of them discovers the joy of generosity. Love it. Well, Henry, talk a little bit about moving into private equity. You weren't able to get private equity loans, which helped you. Then you became a private equity company, but one with a difference. Talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, as I was talking a bit with the bandwidth story, we saw that even though we made a lot of mistakes along the way, we had an opportunity to participate in the work that God was doing in the kingdom of God and just spent not enough time in prayer, but enough time in prayer to really get a sense that we had this, this platform to be able to advance God's kingdom in, in small ways. But when we came across other Christians who are entrepreneurs, a lot of them had had venture capital funding from other folks. And they really felt this need, and, and I don't think it's a real need, but they nonetheless felt this need to kind of tone down their faith and just do it in a way that wouldn't be thought of as being offensive to other people. And our faith should never be offensive to other people. But what I'm getting at here is that they really had a difficult time bringing their faith into the workplace. And we really believed that was a, kind of like a tragedy. So we thought, well, what would it look like if we took some of the money that we had and, and encouraged these young entrepreneurs in the pursuit of their faith in a winsome way? And we were their capital providers. And we'd come alongside them and, and help them as operators to think through things like customer acquisition costs and lifetime value, intellectual property, channels for market, financing, all of those things, but also could have a type of dialogue with them where we would endeavor to find God together in the marketplace, where we could have discussions about accountability and being in a small group and timing God's word and how we thought about the biblical message of generosity and the different types of questions and, and, and dialogue that we might have in Christian community for those of us who are called to the marketplace that might allow us to be that kind of winsome witness. And so that gave birth to Sovereign's Capital. And we set out about 11 years ago to invest in faith-driven entrepreneurs. We did some of that in America, of course, but also a bunch of uh, really, really phenomenal entrepreneurs in Southeast Asia. And through the grace of God, the, the, the fund family has done very well. We actually have four funds in market right now. God has blessed us and and been top quartile funds and pretty much everything that, that we've done. And I think a lot of that's uh, divine providence. I think a lot of that's also a function of the fact that the business can be run really well, not at the expense of biblical values, but because of them. When you get to be a, when you get to be, you know, 
when you get Jeff Wright or Alan Barnhart as your as your as as your boss, you know, you get a sense that they're about something greater than just the manufacturing distribution of cranes or homes. There's something bigger there. And we think that that lends to greater employee retention. And that in turn leads to better profits. And that that allows for greater investor returns. And and we've seen that we've seen that bear out. So had a lot of fun doing that. We've got a we've got a fun adventure. We've got a fun that does a lot of work in, in Southeast Asia. We've got a fund that just works on lower to middle market companies. We have a fund that invests in other funds that also have spiritual integration in them. Probably our fastest growing fund is that. Uh, it's been unbelievable to see over the last three or four years, Christ followers who have private equity and venture capital backgrounds and track records starting or reshaping and revamping their funds in light of what, their faith informs them where they have a written spiritual integration plan and dozens and dozens of incredible funds. So we have a fund of funds product. And then the last one is we have a fund called the Omega Fund that invests in publicly traded companies that are run by Christ followers. And that's been great to get out there and be able to prove out over a large number of stocks that Christian leaders of publicly traded companies can have a profound impact in the markets but then can also have this kind of empirical proof where they can compete and win versus their more secular peers in a given industry. So that's that's uh, the Sovereign's Capital Fund family. Uh, well, I think exciting. yeah, I think one of the one of the things we've talked about before, Henry, is you've kind of got a heart for and, and it's sort of referenced in that even in that fund family where where you're investing, you know, a, a fund of funds. When I think of you. I think of you as kind of part of this movement. And so you have this faith-driven movement that's kind of come out of this. Because I know what we talked, you're like, hey, I want other people. Like, obviously, sovereigns can't do all the private equity in the world to fund all of the uh, Christians yeah. or people that want to do it the right way. So you, you've kind of helped create this sort of platform or this movement around faith-driven, all kinds of stuff in business. Can you just talk about that platform and your thoughts behind it and what that looks like? Oh, yeah, yeah, Sure. And so it really, the faith-driven movements was out of a problem we had, and it was with sovereigns. It was four years into it, we were finding that we were only investing one out of 100 businesses that came to us for funding. And we got into the business because we wanted to be an encouragement to faith-driven entrepreneurs. You say no 99 out of 100 times, yeah. you're not being a net encouragement. I mean, that's awful. And it came to a head with a guy named Anatole Melancia, who called me up, and I can't even remember how he's connected in, but he called me up and said, listen, I'd like for you to invest in my real estate tech business, and I'm based in Moldova. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to be easy. I, I don't know anything about real estate. Again, can't invest in that. And I'm not even sure Moldova is a country. So we can't, can't invest. Of course, we're on the phone with Jeff Wright, who knows very well that Moldova is a country. He's known for 25 years, <laughs> amazing things. And if I want a more Hope International trips, I know it too. But I talked to this guy. And it's like, listen, I'm so sorry we're not going to be able to invest, thinking he's going to be another one of the 99. Yeah. And he wouldn't let me go. It's like, you have to understand, I just, there's not this like really entrenched Christian business culture in Moldova. And I don't know whether I can hire a, you know, non-believing CFO or a partner and just, I just need you to spend some time with me. And I remember where I was. I remember exactly where I was on the highway. And actually, it's, you know, God will probably do this to all your listeners too. You remember exactly where you were. And for me, especially when I'm driving, for instance, I remember where I was, the exact foot of road on 751 in Durham, North Carolina. When I was listening to the Kiva podcast and I learned about Hope International for the first time. And when Peter Greer said, 
this mission is not just about the alleviation of financial poverty. It's about the alleviation of spiritual poverty too. And I almost wrecked my car. It was amazing. So I remember that. In this case, I was driving back from Lake Tahoe and I was just outside of Sacramento. And I remember my heart posture being, you know what? I don't have time for this guy. I'm way too busy. And I can't spend an hour, an hour and a half kind of just, just spend. I have enough time, you know, it demands my time with the portfolio companies we have. And I don't want to, you know, I got I to gotta focus on that. But I really felt that the Holy Spirit convicted me at the time that I needed to make the time. And so Anatole and I spent time together. And it was back when the Skype was still a thing. We did an hour and a half Skype call. And I wrote notes in a framework and an outline together with a talk I'd done about the lessons that God taught us at Bandwidth. And that became the, the framework for the faith-driven entrepreneur website. Mm. And we had thought about doing a Sovereign's Capital podcast for a long time, but we decided that actually it would be better done uh, with the ministry and having this movement that would include a ministry, but also have the decentralized movement aspect about it that would seek to encourage, equip, empower, and almost commission Christian business owners around the world believing that there's this kind of like Ezekiel body, this land of dry bones aspect to Christians. They're almost like sleeper cells that are out there. They're not fully activated in where God would have them in the business. And what would it look like if we created this community and movement to activate them, bring them into community? And over the course of the last five years with Faith Trade Entrepreneur, with a great, great team and great leadership from a guy named Justin Foreman, we've been able to do some of those things with a blog in a podcast conference. Just last week, we had our Faith Driven Entrepreneur Conference. We filmed it and broadcast it from Africa two years ago, Jeff. And we had, uh, and now we had the first one, we had 800 entrepreneurs from around the world in a watch party in Raleigh, North Carolina. Last year, 12 months ago, we had 200 watch parties. This year, more than 300 watch parties, probably close to 10,000 people. We had 4,570 official registrants, but we had all these watch parties where you just, you just had one person register. But, you know, at Arizona Christian, we had 190 people there. And so there's this movement. Our friend David Wills likes to say, Aslan is on the move. And it really is a bunch of Christian business owners that know that entrepreneurship can be a really, really lonely journey, but it doesn't need to be. And what does it look like for us to kind of come around these common themes and marks of a faith-driven entrepreneur, which are the call to create our identity in Christ, being joyfully generous, uh, ministering word, ministering deed, excellence, uh, being endeavoring to be faithful rather than willful. So that's the underpinnings of the faith-driven entrepreneur movement. And the faith-driven investor came right out of that. So a couple of years into it, and I, I'm an entrepreneur, so I like I I'd I like seen problems and trying to solve for them. We had a guy from the Masaka Creamery in Rwanda called up and said, hey, I'd like for you to invest in my business. We're like, well, we don't invest in Africa. But we have a blog and a podcast and a conference. You'll love it. It'd be great. And he listened politely. But at the end, I realized that he's still looking for $250,000 of financing. And as much as he appreciated the link to the podcast, it wasn't really scratching his itch. And so we came up with a ministry of faith-driven investor to help entrepreneurs get matched up with like-minded capital. But then more importantly, really saw that as cool as we thought Sovereigns was through God's grace, we surely were not the only game in town. And what would it look like if we tried to just put the spotlight on others across real estate, fixed income, uh, 
international equities, international both venture capital and private equity, even things like oil and natural gas funding. And just talk about as the body of Christ, what does it look like to bring our faith to bear in how we store the capital that God has entrusted us with? Yes, on the philanthropy side, but in this case, a faith-driven investor, how might we store the investment capital he's given us to steward in a way that participates in the work that he's doing? Love it. Hey, Jeff Rutt, you know, we've talked uh, and we talked a little in our in our uh, sort of uh, uh, preliminary discussion before we hit record today about kind of the movement. You know, w- one of the reasons we all love uh, Henry is he, he thinks big and uh, he's got this platform that God's, you know, pr- provided him. But, you know, Jeff, Rutt, let me just put you on the spot. You know, when you hear that, how do you respond to the kind of you know, this sort of movement that we're trying to do with generosity of business owners. What, what's kind of going through your your brain when you hear that, Jeff Rutt? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. First of all, Henry, thank you for your inspiration and your generous uh, time that you put into the work on the Hope International Board, however many years ago that was. I know your your kids were a lot younger then. I just remember having having good conversations about family, about uh, investing in the dreams of the families that Hope serves around the world. But I just remember your brainstorming with you around those, those, those board tables, and you had a huge impact on the, the growing of Hope International. So thank you. There's a lot of families that were impacted, even because of your time spent on that board. But as I hear you talk about your journey, I can't help but uh, think about the the breadth of all, all of the, the families that you've touched in that in the business world, in the investment world, and it just seems like it keeps going. But I would love to have you maybe broaden it even further for that young person who is maybe somewhere between your sons and your age, who's looking to be, how do, how do they start thinking about biblical generosity? How, how do they start thinking about using the gifts that God has put in their hands and the the talents and the skills and the abilities to be, to give back, to really use the the gifts that God's given them, honor and serve him. You know, is um, my greatest hope is that my kids will come to understand the God who loves them and that they'll marry a godly spouse. I mentioned that before, but I would love to see yeah. them participate in the work that, that, that God is doing through generosity and through enterprise in the marketplace. I'd love to see them get involved in that. That would be just a great honor. And so I try to have discussions with them about what that looks like. My youngest one has said that he'd love to work with his dad. The older ones haven't articulated the same way. But my hope is that by taking them overseas and being able mm-hmm. to show them the joy and the trip and uh, and just the experience, that they'll just be brought alive in that. That they'll yeah. just... They'll, They'll, they'll seek that out in ways that I couldn't even, you know, just anticipate. But the most important thing for, for, for me with my children, I think I'd suggest this with all parents, is that for our kids just to be really familiar with our story, especially mm-hmm. our faith story. Mm-hmm. My, and I, I've got to stay focused. I got to stay focused on the big thing, which is just that they will know the God of the universe mm-hmm. and that they will receive the gift of life. They'll understand that even though that they have fallen short of, my glory and, and Kimberly's glory are hopes for them as they make mistakes, but of God's glory. And yet they have a savior mm. who loves them infinitely more than Kimberly and I do. And that when yeah. they are able to respond to that reality and gratitude, 
that God will have will help show them the problems that they're to solve. And I do hope that it's done in light of understanding that God owns it all. And that yeah. when we give, we can do it out of a sense of gratitude and 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 this jo- this joyful participation and in, in participating in the work that God is doing. That is my hope. And yet I just want him to know Jesus. I just want him to know Jesus. Alan, I love that, Henry. Uh, Alan, I mean, you've been on this trail a long time trying to run a business integrated with your faith. When you hear Henry talking about this and Henry, you you tell me if I'm off base, but when I think of this sort of faith-driven platform you have, you know, there's all kinds of demographics, obviously, that'll engage. But what really comes through, at least for me, is that, you know, you really want people to be encouraged to integrate their faith with their work every day. And so, Alan, I'm just curious. I know this is a passion of yours. When you when you hear that kind of thing, what, what's bouncing around in, in, in your brain? And the thing that I would underline that Henry said very well is being a follower of Jesus is not a liability in business. It's an asset. Mm. And, and doing things God's way works. He's, he's our creator. He knows how we work best. And if we will function within his parameters, then it works. And Henry has proved it over and over again. The other thing I'm taking away from this conversation is I'm a little bit entrepreneurial, but man, Henry is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the breadth of different things. I mean, it's a skill that God has given him and yeah. he's taken that skill and not only used it to create great businesses, but now he is actually creating competitors and creating other, if you want to call them competitors, he is um, an ecosystem almost. Yes. Encouraging an ecosystem. Yeah. He is developing people that, that won't put a nickel in his pocket, but that will become kingdom players. And that's a powerful thing to do. I love I think that's well said. Henry, is that is it do you you kind of see this? Where do you see this faith-driven movement going five or ten years from now? You know, and what do you see your role as being in that? Well, uh, to hear somebody like Alan Barnhart says some nice things about what guys done for me is really, really, really cool. So thank you for the encouragement. Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's just, you see different, you see different problems and you just, if you've got the resources to, to get involved in helping to, to fix them, you do that. And, and that only works though. I mean, a true entrepreneur is really a visionary and is only limited to being able to see different things and come up with ideas. They're actually, that's kind of a dime a dozen in everything that God has allowed me to participate in, there have been incredible teams that he has also brought along. You can come up with an idea about, wow, wouldn't it be great if we brought a bunch of Christian business owners together? And that's pretty much what I do. But to have a guy like Justin Foreman who can actually operationalize it and Sue Alice Sothoff that can put together these different types of groups. And then each time, whether it's been Chapel Hill Brokers or Bandwidth or Sovereigns or now Faith Driven, God has brought along a partner that has made it all happen. So uh, I think that's really important. Um, I think it's really important because I, I don't want to take too much credit. It's not a false modesty. It's just a function of the fact that I think it's, it's for those of us who are entrepreneurs, I think that we, uh, and we're trying to test like, what would God have us do? Um, has God given us a vision and an idea? And then has he also brought along the people that can help us to execute it? And then we can have an idea about whether it's us under our own power or whether God's in it or not. And the sign for me about whether I'm involved, and I'll answer your question here in a second, Jeff, but is, is has he brought alongside the right people? 
Yeah. In each case, mm-hmm. you might have the best way. So what happens next? So what's the dream? The hope is that in 10 years that every Christ follower. So there are two different elements. On, on one hand, we want to be able to be so excellent in the marketplace that people want to know what makes us tick and it brings them to Jesus. Evangelism is not my primary uh, is not my primary vehicle and what I focus most of my time on. Most of my time is more along on the, uh, the ends of discipleship, maybe out of personal, maybe out of a selfish need to be discipled myself and wrestle with these same issues. But what I love working with are people who are, have already acknowledged Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and yet are trying to figure out how to really live that out in the market. So the vision is 10 years from now, when every Christ-following business owner and investor comes to understand that indeed God owns it all, and they not only uh, not only receive the gift of the gospel anew in such a way that it transforms their heart life, and they're like, oh my goodness, I just have to respond out of gratitude with all that I have. But then they accept the invitation to participate in what God is doing in the world, and they do that with joy in a way that the rest of the watching world just gets involved. So it's uh, so. what would happen with that? Well, it would mean that every Christian understands that their investment assets can be used to participate in the work that God is doing in the world. Um, it would mean that most Christians don't have index funds, okay? Mm-hmm. Maybe it just make it make a little specificity there. Yep. It would mean that every Christian leans into the joy of generosity and does it in community. It's the funeral. We talk about this a lot at Faith Driven. It's, a, it's the funeral of the lone wolf. Wealth isolates. Entrepreneurs can be really lonely. They tend not to congregate because they're too busy trying to do different things. And I think that Satan's having a field day with that. But if we can come together with great content and teaching, but then also great intentional community in a way that's not overbearing, not too prescriptive, but allows the body of Christ to come together to kind of undo the work of the Tower of Babel, right? You know, if you just take a look at Bruegel's painting of the Tower of Babel. The intricacy, the size, the scale, the scope of that project was unbelievable. But we know what ended up happening is that it was being built with the wrong motives. But if Christ followers can come back together to work on some projects with the the ambition, the motive of making God famous instead, humankind is capable of incredible things. So 10 years from now, the body of Christ comes together with intentionality, with regularity, and and it just and it's kind of it's, it's maybe back to some of the things that happened in the 1800s. My heart, because we did the Faith of Entrepreneur Conference in Africa, my heart is still in Africa. There's a time when the body of Christ really was a difference maker, where Christians were making that we're we're building the schools, we're building the hospitals, of course we're building the churches, in a way that was completely contrary to the culture at the time. Where Christians were just just winsome by the fact that we just weren't normal. Well, somewhere because of the great reversal or whatever the case is, we're the last to be really involved in and meaningful in, in social impact investing. Or in the way that we think about ESG or the way that we think about millennium development goals. So there's an opportunity for the body of Christ to come together and out of gratitude for the gift of life given us to actually do something that's much more radical, much more beautiful than the rest of the world that does not yet know Jesus. And as a part of that, there's incredible revival. And without being overly pithy or cliche about it, just, you know, God's kingdom comes about. Wow, that is really powerful. I just have one one other question here as we wrap up. Henry, congratulations on the success in all the organizations you've started. By the way, I think you should have your sons start 
t-shirt businesses in their universities. Surprised that you haven't uh, taken over that sector, or they haven't taken <laughs> over that sector. They probably they will. Have an, they don't have an entrepreneurial. They they've never they know about my t-shirt story, um, <laughs> but they have uh, never picked up on that, despite okay. me hinting that they might. <laughs> okay. So my question is, you you have done this with such excellence, and I think this was something that our listeners could benefit from listening to this podcast. Is you have you have your uh, ingenious, uh, brilliant ideas have blossomed partly because you have had open hands about developing leadership teams that have been able to operate them. Talk a little bit about how you've done that and what's what's your, I feel like uh, that takes a balance of that hungry, humble, smart. You've been able to say, here's my gift. Here's here's the gift that I see in others and then hand that, hand that baton off to, to others. Talk about you know, and in the different things that you've started and have been so super successful at. What, what would you say a couple of the things that have been key in being able to do that? Jeff, I do this film perfectly. I, you know, at bandwidth early on, I did a bad job of handing off authority and leadership to others. It was only when, through the help of Dave, my partner at bandwidth, we were able to collectively just see what does it look like to empower others because you know they weren't they weren't skinning their knee. For those of us who are parents, we know when our kids are starting to walk, we're like, we're worried they're, they're going to skin their knee. You're an entrepreneur. They're skinning your knee, right? <laughs> and that was really, really hard. And if I'm honest, remains hard to this day. What mitigates that, what makes that challenge easier for me, I think, is being conscious of it, hmm. uh, knowing that it's important that others on the team own it and feel like this is their ministry or this is their fun company or this is their telecom company. Uh, being conscious of it helps a lot inviting my subordinates into understanding that's something I wrestle with and I struggle with and I want to be held accountable to a higher standard is, mm. uh, is a part of it. Mm. Part of it is God bringing the right leaders in where I actually can take a step back and like, you know what? All these people are better than me anyway. And that's mm. not a false modesty. It's just a realization. I mean, seriously, Tom Hahn, David Morgan, Luke Rush, Justin Foreman are better than I am at the different, at different areas that they're responsible for than I am. That helps. I, but I, you know, Jeff, I struggle with it all the time. I, you know, I just like, I think that, wow, well, surely we can do this then too. And then you, you run the risk of overtaxing the team. And, um, and I haven't, I haven't completely cracked the code on that. Well, probably having that, that, that humility, that attitude of humility is, is one of the keys because that's, you've obviously been very successful at that, bringing folks around you. So congratulations. It's exciting to see what God has done with your, your, in, ingenuity, your energy, your generosity, and uh, it, it's just exciting to have some time to to spend here on the podcast with you. Oh, it's great to be with you guys. Well, it really is. The, just to chime in this, this morning, we do a firm-wide uh, call at our firm and a little devotional, uh, and today's devotional is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and it says, and let us consider how to stir one up, uh, up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that's just what you're talking about with teams. And I love the, uh, the funeral of the lone wolf. Okay. I'm uh, I think I'm going to put that on the wall. Uh, that's awesome. And so be a t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) We can trademark it. Yeah. There's no conflict. Okay. We're not going to put a college name on there. We don't have to buy the rights. Maybe we have to buy them from Henry if we're going to do it, but, 
<laughs> but but anyway, Henry, as you know, as we as we wrap up, and this has just been great. We always try to, you know, like we always say, we're just a bunch of business people trying to encourage other business people, you know, and we're so aligned with with your mission and and vision of what you're trying to do to encourage others. So we're just thinking of, you know, the the entrepreneur driving down the street who is trying to actively integrate their faith with their uh, with their business and their work life. And they want to be more generous. But, you know, what's just a practical tip that you might leave with them that they might be able to implement in the next few days? Practical tip is to go to TED.com and watch the 20-minute talk from Simon Sinek on the why of leadership. It's the art of the why, I think it's called. And then with that in mind, with some great secular examples of Steve Jobs and with uh, the Wright brothers, ask themselves this question over and over and over again about why they're doing what they're doing. Ostensibly, as a Christ-following business, a Christian that's listening, you take listen. You're taking time during your busy week to listen to the Generous Business Owner podcast, okay? So you're already somewhat serious about your faith. And, um, and yet you need to ask yourself why every day, because here's the risk that I have, that I submit that all, all, all the three co-hosts have and every one of our listeners has. The risk that we have is not that the sun's going to scorch us as seed or that the birds are going to come and take us away. I'm obviously borrowing very liberally here from the parable of the sower. But the risk is that the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches will choke mm. us out. Mm. That's the third thing. It's the third test. And you probably, again, you're listening to this podcast, you've gone through number one and number two. But the thing that I got to wrestle with every day is why am I doing what I'm doing? And am I doing it because of the worries of the world, the approval of others, uh, the, you know, the success for success's own sake, Am I, or am I seeing this as an opportunity to like commune with the living God? And I'm able to, to have accountability around me to not be taken by the deceitfulness of riches. So if I can do that, if your listeners can do that, if the entrepreneur driving to work today right now can do that by spending time in God's word and having real fellowship and community and accountability, if you do that, the Bible tells you what your return will be, right? I think the best passage in scripture about the power of investments is not the parable of the the uh, of the talents. It's the parable of the sower. If we can get through those three tests, we can get those those words of the world and deceitfulness of riches behind us. Then we get a return that's one hundred sixty or thirty fold. Hmm. That's massive. Hmm. I love it when we get a ten bagger at Sovereigns. <laughs> Minimum return. You free yourself up from the words of the world, deceitfulness of riches. Minimum return, thirty x. Sign me up for that. Exactly. Well, what a, what, a, what a great place to end it. And so uh, on behalf of uh, Alan and Jeff Rutt, thanks so much for uh, joining us, Henry. And uh, once again, thanks for being a, a guest on the uh, Generous Business Owner Podcast. Thanks, Henry. Great being with you guys. Thanks, great Henry. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.